We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to another episode of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 18th. We're heading into week four of the college football season. Nick Whalen back here with John McKechnie. Uh, John, I, I did a little research this morning. I had uh, some extra time. Yeah, I know. Before uh, we hopped in the studio here, 15 years ago uh, was an eventful week to the day. Um, in college football, September 18th, your Georgia Bulldogs, then ranked number three in the country, hmm. held on to beat a, a scrappy, apparently, Marshall team 13-3 to in Athens behind 209 passing yards from David Green. That's Green with an E on the end. Leonard Pope, two catches, 49 yards. Was Byron Leftwich, was that his last year there? No, that was my initial thought is, you know, for them to keep it this close, it had to be Leftwich. Um, it wasn't Chad Pennington either, right. obviously a little past his time. I didn't even make note of who the quarterback was which okay. means that i hadn't heard of him and he is not in kind of like the leonard pope category of guys we'd want to talk about mm-hmm. so i was hoping maybe you'd be able to add some context to why this was only a 10 point game when georgia was number three in the country um but a win's a win i, w- I wish i could phone a friend here to to give a, a, a paint a broader picture of what that 03 i think that might have been rick's first year at georgia if i remember correctly or, or right around there they might have won the sec or they they might have gone to the sec championship game that year so yeah georgia was good a little bit eerie that uh i believe they're number three right now uh this week mm. as well heading into uh, a matchup with with a notre dame team that i suspect to be a little bit better than what that 03 Marshall team was. So we'll see if those parallels yeah. bear out and, and Georgia will be able to, to hold off uh, this Notre Dame team or not. Yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, kind of tough to say if that Notre Dame team will be better than that unranked 04 Marshall team. <laughs> uh, Georgia ended up losing to Tennessee two weeks later uh, back in 2004. 
five weeks after that, they lost at Auburn, who at that time was number three in the country, so not a bad loss. Uh, and they ended up playing Wisconsin, actually, and beating the Badgers 24-21 in the Outback Bowl. Oh, wow, I, I was off on my years there, but uh, mm-hmm. sounds like, uh, was that the year that Auburn went undefeated to and, and got left out of the national championship discussion? You know what? Is it, Jason it was Campbell, yeah, thirteen and zero. Ronnie Brown, of mm-hmm. course, Cadillac. Cadillac Williams, of course. When will um, we ever see? We will never see a backfield pairing go in the top five ever again. No, McFadden wasn't a top five pick, was he? McFadden and Joe. Well, Felix Jones certainly wasn't either. Oh, I sure, guess. right. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think we'll ever see that ever again. Um, I mean, if Steve Slayton and Pat White can't be drafted <laughs> in the top five, I, I don't know if anybody will be able to. Uh, anyway, elsewhere on that day in two thousand four, Minnesota. Handled Colorado State. Two touchdown passes for Brian Cupido. Uh, somebody, if you live in this region, you remember that name fondly. Both to Matt Spath, another just absolute name. <laughs> Marion Barber, Lawrence Maroney combined for 333 rushing yards on 48 carries. Can you imagine? In that game. Can you imagine being a defensive player back in the, even though you're wearing yeah, the gigantic luck. pads, yeah. like dealing with Maroney and Barber over the course of, like you said, 48 yep. carries on that hard Metrodome turf, yep. pre-field turf. Like, so you're basically just playing on a, on like mm-hmm. a carpet laid out over some concrete there. Oh yeah. Respect, um, respect to the Colorado state guys. I'm sure they were sore the next day. A couple other notes from 04. Again, I know this is the, the kind of content that people come here for. Number mm-hmm. 20, Wisconsin held on to beat Arizona nine to seven in Tucson behind 135 yards on 30 carries. From Booker Stanley, who would go on later that year to be arrested at the Mifflin Block Party um, after well, like, beating the hell out of some guy. He was wearing an Earl Campbell jersey at the time. It was pretty awesome. Um, there's some great photos from that incident on the internet, uh, which our, our esteemed co-worker Kevin O'Brien shared with me this morning. Uh, and last but not least, future Raiders great Andrew Walter lit up the Iowa Hawkeyes defense for 428 yards and five touchdowns on September 18, 2004. Iowa was held to just 100 yards of total offense. A tough day for Drew Tate. <laughs> Truly a day, a day that Tate uh, wants to forget. One of the first quarterbacks I remember ever wearing a visor, Drew Tate. So he's kind of oh. earned a spot in my heart for that. Okay, interesting. Now okay. visors are extremely back. Hang on, we're going to fast forward 15 years. It is now September 18th, 2019. Georgia-Notre Dame is the big headliner this weekend. We get Wisconsin-Michigan as the 11 a.m. Uh, kind of headliner. But I, I think Georgia-Notre Dame is arguably the biggest uh, single game of the year so far. You know, LSU, Texas, uh, maybe, maybe stake that claim two weeks ago, but I think this is bigger. You're a Georgia guy. Uh, what, what is your plan for this game? Do you have any kind of superstition type of things that you do for a big game like this? You know, I've been, I've been scouting out all across Madison trying to find like a, like a padded room for me to that's like safe and has yep. like a TV that has a, a glass enclosure around it so I don't throw anything that, that ends up breaking the screen anything of that nature um, still kind of working on, on actually finding it I might have to just like maybe the children's museum j- downtown j- Jerry rig something at like the that trampoline gym oh yep, yep yeah so the, a lot of like that. a lot of like soft uh, edges there nothing that I can really harm myself with um, so probably end up watching it at Sky Zone mm-hmm. yeah and then yeah as far as uh, other superstitions don't really have it I mean I, I know that there's one shirt that I that I cannot wear uh, we always lose big games when I wear that shirt so okay I will not be wearing the the Peter Millar uh, red polo that day yeah no more questions asked uh, Georgia safety J.R. Reed earlier this week uh, said Ian Book reminds him of Johnny Manziel. Thought that was kind of a wild thing to say, but you know maybe they're trying to pump up Ian Book a little bit before this matchup. Book is pretty awesome. I think he gets a little bit underrated here, and I think the the parallels that you can draw with him and Manziel is um, well, he has a number two on his jersey. Both white. Uh, both are white. Um, I think otherwise, when it comes to Ian Book, like he can escape really well and, and extend plays. He, he's not quite as creative as Manziel was in college. I mean, Manziel, like no one will ever be as just amazingly no. or capable of improvising the way that Manziel was. But Book's got that uh, ability to him, and he's got a really good offensive line in front of him again. Like they, they kind of took a step back last year after losing McGlinchey and Nelson, but they're good again this year and Georgia's uh, defensive line and and linebacking core they they spent all season talking about wreaking havoc and and that getting the havoc rate up and it really hasn't been Mm -hmm. uh, all that much to to this point in the year so Ian Book could like kind of be able to sit back and pick apart this Georgia defense it's a little bit banged up in the secondary if Tyson Campbell can't go 
wasn't super impressed with the bookman in week one um against was louisville rough, i mean he didn't have a bad game uh but just you know took a few sacks wasn't as dynamic i think as we expected but got back on track against a really really tough new mexico team last week five touchdowns on, on just 15 completions 360 yards so um yeah i mean the hype is building for this one and rightfully so unfortunately <clears throat> excuse me i have a wedding on saturday um a wedding that is not for anyone i know so i I am a little bit limited i think in what i'm going to be able to do if it was like a family wedding you know my cousin's wedding a co-worker something like that i would feel a lot more comfortable you know finding a tv somewhere just kind of sitting in the back watching it on my phone but i kind of have to be on my best behavior for this so gosh honestly a nightmare scenario uh it's at a it's at the public market in milwaukee which is not known for its selection of tvs in fact i don't think there's a single tv at the public market Uh, i'm concerned about what the wi-fi speed is going to be um things are trending towards me not watching this game uh, as much as i would like to you might need to like bring some binoculars i know that there are some like brunch spots in milwaukee like right right across the street that maybe you can be able to like peer in if if you get the uh the right type of binoculars there but i mean what is your take just in general i I imagine this is kind of a softball question really but like (laughs) weddings during football season man like it's insane it's insane. I, I think it's very clear that oftentimes the the maybe person who's less interested in the couple in college football is the one that probably has more say when it comes to setting the date. Um, I mean, I've kind of like half joked with with friends about this, you know, girlfriends about like you need to consider this. Like you have you can't have your wedding on a Packer Sunday in Green Bay. You can't do it on a Badger Saturday. You know, I had one last last year on the day that the Badgers lost to BYU. That's right. Didn't get to watch any of the game. We get to the venue just in time to see the Badgers, you know, finally blow it mm-hmm. at the end. And I blame myself for that loss that for not being a, that there with you. the team. And a lot of my, you know, UW alumni friends were also unable to watch the game. Like it, it added up to, you know, us kind of having to take responsibility for that loss. And I don't want to go through that again. Um, I mean, luckily this time I don't really have a dog in this fight. Um, I'd like, for your sake, I'd like to see Georgia beat Notre Dame. But I, I think overall the point is we need to get some more consideration when it comes to scheduling these weddings i don't I don't even mind if you have the wedding on a day of a game but have a tv you know bring in I'm, I'm i don't even care what it is i'm picturing like the tv that you had in your seventh grade classroom that they rolled in on that cart with like a strap uh, yeah, over, a ratchet the strap on the top on it. Like, <laughs> i don't care what kind of tv it is just a tv stick it in the corner stick it out in the lobby um yeah, at the end of the day it's just it's really inconsiderate i think to to college football fans yeah exactly like let me let me make myself a social pariah i will i, I will care. gladly yeah, sit in the corner and, and watch that care. like uh, instead of you know how many times i've worn a byron leftwich jersey to lambeau field like more than seven <laughs> so i don't i don't think that's going to be an issue at all no so yeah i mean i know one of our listeners good friend of mine uh you know he's he's been you know with a complete straight face like if you get married during a georgia game like i'm not going I'm not going to your wedding. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially if it's an SEC game, I think you have to consider the opponent as well. This is um, true. One of the headlines leading into this game: tickets. The average price, um, you know, is north of six hundred dollars. I, I think the get-in price is now in the two hundreds, which is lower than it was uh, over the last couple of weeks. But um, you know, I think this is the third or fourth most expensive ticket of the last five or ten years. I believe I read, and, and the other three ahead of it are all either conference title games or bowl games yeah i mean when i went to the georgia notre dame game in south bend two years ago i ended up getting a ticket the day of for like 350 bucks and Steel. and i felt like that was like you know what i'm here i've come all this way i've spent the weekend in chicago drove to south bend this morning like yep. i'm going to this effing game and i don't really care what it costs so yeah it was it was definitely more than I would love to pay. I mean, I paid like two twenty or something for end zone seats at LSU last year, which was I thought a better deal. But I mean, when it when you get these two type of programs that don't face each other, it makes and with like rich alumni bases like Notre Dame's, like they are. Of course, the ticket prices are going to be yep. absurd. Even even if Georgia Stadium can ha- can easily or comfortably house you know upwards of ninety four thousand people, the, the ticket price alone is going to be wild so i'm not surprised that the that these tickets are, are jacked up to insane rates you you noted that speaking of insane ticket prices for some reason uh appalachian state at north carolina the the get-in price is like a hundred dollars is there any reason for this is there some sort of armani edwards tribute at halftime like what would be the possible explanation for north carolina against one of the lowest caliber opponents on the entire schedule yeah it's uh it's interesting i, I don't know exactly how far boone is from from chapel hill um but 
you never doubt or bet against the, those, uh, those people from Boone, the, the Mountaineers, man. So, uh, I think the app state crowd is just the, the fact that this is an in-state non-conference game in in a way that the North Carolina wake forest game was also a non-conference game somehow a little bit of sc- scheduling quirk action there last week, but, um, a legitimate Sunbelt versus ACC opponent. I think that there's probably just a ton of like App State people that live in the triangle that are going to be trying to get out uh, to UNC and UNC. There's a slight bit of excitement around this program now. I mean, I know that they lost to Wake Forest uh, this past week, but they put up a good fight. They really, really came close to uh, to to pulling a insane comeback against Wake. So there, there's a little bit of excitement there. They got that true freshman quarterback that, that's making a lot of waves, mm-hmm. Sam Howell. So pretty fun time to be a UNC football fan, especially considering where they were yeah. this time last year. I guess, yeah, all things considered, um, it is a decent time. The ACC, the rest of the ACC Ooh. is such trash. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. First of all, I wanted to apologize for a former ACC team, Maryland. Mm. Uh, turns out they might not be the best offensive team in the history of college football, which they look like they very, very, you know, almost certainly were through the first couple of weeks of the year. They take a tough loss last week. Offense couldn't really get going. Um, Felipe Franks, that's probably the other biggest takeaway from an otherwise fairly underwhelming week three, kind of an off week for a lot of the top 25 right. teams, a warm-up week uh, before the, you know, the meat of the conference schedule comes up. But Felipe Franks, done for the year, a gruesome lower leg injury. Right. Um, you know, obviously a guy who's been fairly maligned for his on-field and off-field antics, but nonetheless, a massive loss for Florida. Uh, they turn things over now to Kyle Trask. Uh, they're able to close it out against Kentucky, but I think even with some of the pitfalls that Felipe Franks brings with him, um, you know, this now dramatically lowers Florida's ceiling, you would think, for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think if, if they end up as an eight-win team this year, um, then that would be a great accomplishment for them because, yeah, Franks, definitely the best option that they had at the quarterback position. Trask, I think a much lower-rated uh, recruit than, than Franks was, been in this Dan Mullen system just as long as Franks, yeah. so at least he knows what what's up there. Um, I know that Emory Jones was a freshman maybe last year or maybe he redshirted two years ago, but uh, he's somebody that, that Mullen likes. Um, I know that noted Florida guy uh, Spencer Hall was talking about the potential of this maybe coming full circle with a little Chris Leak, Tim Tebow type of action, although Emory Jones isn't built like Tim Tebow and he's not Tim Tebow. No, not Just don't don't want to don't want to put that out there. But uh, in terms of Jones's rushing ability, uh, contrasting that with, with Trask is more of the, the classic passer uh, for Florida. So that'll it'll be interesting to see uh, how married Dan Mullen is to Trask as like the main quarterback yeah. there. Maybe they mix and match a little bit. I think his biggest drawback is his name is not Felipe Franks. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that you have to replace if you're Florida. It's going from that to a guy with an exceedingly normal name in Kyle Trask. Perhaps too um, normal. Yeah, we'll like see how Whitsack long it takes him to adjust. Normal. Um, but yeah, looking at week three, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Auburn, all those teams win big over inferior opponents. Jalen Hurts, you know, somewhat quietly, another four touchdown game, almost 300 pass yards, 150 rushing yards. Um, I mean, it's looking like barring a, a kind of collapse as Oklahoma gets into the meat of its schedule here he's going to be in the Heisman talk the entire year Tua another huge game for him 444 yards five touchdowns Bama only rushed for 76 yards as a team in this game and, and sack yardage really wasn't a part of it I think Tua only took two sacks mm-hmm. um, so really not a game where they they felt I guess that they needed to pound the run when, when you know when your quarterback's throwing for almost 450 yards you don't have to Relatively quiet game for Jerry Judy. Six catches, 68 yards, no touchdowns. Yeah, it was the Devontae Smith game. Up? Yeah, right. Is, is Jerry Judy, <laughs> Jerry washed? Judy washed up? Uh, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, both got over 100 yards. And, and as we've said you know, in past episodes of this podcast, usually Judy's the one you can count on, and then it's a rotation between the other three guys. Right. Um, and even Judy, you know, not a bad game. It, it's just he set the standard so high that six for 68 with no touchdowns feels like a down week. Um, but it's going to be almost impossible for all four of these guys to, to flourish on the same day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's only so many passes that can be thrown. And I think when it comes to uh, South Carolina, I think that their MO for Saturday was definitely like, okay, we, we can't let Jerry Judy beat us. We, we're going to do everything to you know let those other two guys beat us. And they, they went ahead and they did it, did it that way. So Devontae Smith and, and Henry Ruggs went ahead and kind of took care of that. Uh, for them but hey they, they did stop jerry judy in theory so um good on you will yeah, who actually won um i i think given what happened at the end of last season uh trevor lawrence had kind of snatched the crown 
from Tua. Um, you know, obviously they're different classes, and and Trevor Lawrence. I think it would be a more dramatic debate if Trevor Lawrence was draft eligible this year. Oh gosh, um, because you know we we have to wait until after next season, of course. But it, it does feel like how this season has started. You know, of course, both these teams are, are going to be great, and there's a good chance we're going to see them meet up again uh, at some point in the college football playoff. But it, it does seem, based on these first three weeks, that. I think if you're choosing between the two, Tua maybe has pulled back ahead, which is where he was for 80% of last season. You know, Lawrence hasn't been bad, but, you know, he continues to to struggle with with accuracy and, and taking some shots he maybe doesn't need to. Um, I mean, if you're if you're choosing between these two uh, as an NFL evaluator, let, let's say for some reason Tua decides to come back or or for the sake of argument, Lawrence was able to go out after this year. Would you still want Trevor Lawrence over Tua as an NFL evaluator? Yeah, as an NFL prospect, absolutely. I mean, like Tua, um, you know, you, you can't knock him for for being on the shorter side anymore. I mean, so many great quarterbacks in the NFL um, now have, have kind of smashed that that misnomer there. But I mean, Lawrence, like if you were building a quarterback in, in a laboratory, like that's what it would look like. Maybe minus the hair. Yeah. But I, I don't know. The, the hair maybe. seems to <laughs> the, the chin is. I mean, handsome Squidward is is yeah. kind of the the comp you can get there. But um, I mean, Lawrence, his arm strength is is insane. He he cleaned up one of the me- mechanical flaws, if there were really any last year. He kind of would would go away from his body, kind of like flap the wing a little bit on his throws. He's tightened that up. Um, so with with that new throwing motion, maybe that explains a little bit of, of why he hasn't been as dynamic and sharp to this point in the season. But in terms of arm strength, the ability to process defenses, um, athleticism, mm-hmm. sheer size and strength, like there's just. I mean, there's a reason why like Lawrence is probably like the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. It's it's insane. So I mean, it's nothing against Tua, and Tua is more like inventive and and stuff like that. And he can maybe um, he's a little bit more mobile sometimes, but he gets rattled by pressure in a way that I haven't seen Lawrence mm-hmm. get rattled by pressure um, and, and taking hits. Um, so and I don't think the arm is quite nearly uh, what Lawrence has. So it's an interesting debate for sure. And Tua is having the better season right now. I don't think you can debate mm-hmm. that. I think Tua was was my Heisman was my Heisman pick and I think that right now it'd, it'd be between Tua and Hertz uh, uh, oddly enough you know, Hertz at Oklahoma right now is doing mm-hmm. just ridiculous stuff I wish that um, they weren't on a bye this week so we could talk a little bit more about him but yeah right now I'd say Lawrence like maybe not on the on the dress list for New York if the season were to end mm-hmm. today but obviously we got nine more weeks to go couple other notes from week three before we move to week four great flea flicker in the Auburn game one of the better flea flickers I've seen um, in terms of just purely fooling defense and executing to perfection in my opinion most exciting play in football possibly in sports Penn State uh, kind of an ugly win but they hang on to beat Pitt at home UCF absolutely runs over Stanford turns out Stanford just might not be that good at all I mean UCF certainly a formidable opponent but Stanford uh, a couple bad losses in, in the last few weeks here Herm Edwards might be a good coach. I I think a lot of people, I would compare this to the Gruden situation in Oakland, where Mm -hmm. a lot of people thought he'd been away for too long. I mean, in Herm's case, he'd never been a college coach, right? He he had last been an assistant at San Jose State. Right, but he'd never been a head coach. Right, two decades ago. Right, so the, you know, just the generational gap in recruiting, things like that. Um, And I I guess I'm not, how is he doing recruiting-wise? You would know better than me. He's actually done well. I mean, looking at this roster alone, he brought in Jaden Daniels, who won the job as a true freshman. And you figured, like, mm-hmm. Herm is going to be all old school about this. He's going to, you know, like, get the guy who's more seasoned and give him the job. He's like, no, if if Daniels is the best quarterback that we have, then we're going to play him. And, you know, so he didn't really uh, go with the old school politics there. You know, he went with his best player. So I give him a lot of credit for kind of mm-hmm. modernizing himself on a, on the fly. And, you know, the, the juxtaposition between that and someone who was considered innovative and all that good stuff and hadn't been out of coaching as long and Chip Kelly in year two absolute train wreck disaster I can't I can't imagine what it feels like to be a UCLA football fan right now because and and I know like my if you look at my Twitter like I always dump on Chip Kelly and and UCLA but I wanted to do it in in this medium as well because they they really deserve it they are they are just willingly becoming a doormat for no reason all right so we've covered print and audio I you will now have to kind of record some sort of video of you trashing Chip Kelly to, to cover all of our bases. Um, but Herm Edwards and the Sun Devils, weird ending in East Lansing. They go in and beat Michigan State. Somewhat of a controversial ending, 12th man penalty. There's negated. a missed leaping call too, apparently. Yeah, yeah, there was that. There was a, the, the 12th man penalty that negated a would-be tying field goal uh, for, for Michigan State late. Um, but, you know, as a Wisconsin guy, as a Big Ten guy, 
don't really mind seeing Michigan State go down at home. Iowa held on to beat Iowa State, one of, arguably one of the best games of, of the week last year, probably in the top three. Really bad muff punt at the end uh, for Iowa State. I mean, not, not a guarantee that they were going to go down and get points, but in a one-point game, um, you know, the gunner essentially just fired himself into the punt returner, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, neither player ever had a chance to even get the ball. Iowa was able to cover it up and then ice the game at that point. USC, a difficult loss uh, in overtime at BYU. Keaton Slovis, possibly not the next John David Booty, um, took a little bit of a step back after a really nice showing in week two. And then I don't even know, Florida State losing at Virginia. This is a ranked Virginia team. You know, it, it, this isn't the Grayson Lambert, Virginia Cavaliers, but mm-hmm. I know Florida State's had some attrition. I know when you go through a coaching change, it's difficult, but the athletes that Florida State has on this roster are so, so superior to what Virginia is throwing out there. And things just continue to get worse and worse for the Seminoles, who are now one and two heading into a game against Louisville this week. Well, uh, there, there's also a great uh, moment in Twitter earlier this week where someone ran into Steve Spurrier. I, f- I forget if even it was after this game or uh, sometime earlier this week, um, but they're like, Coach, like I, I'm, I am a Florida State fan. Like, Can I get a picture with you? And, and then they're like, uh, what do you think of of coach Taggart and he's like oh I think Taggart's a great coach I hope he's there for 10 more years (laughs) just amazing incredible passive aggressive just absolute I mean the trolling that that Spurrier is able to pull off at at his age is truly transcendental like he's he's he just has these in the hip like he doesn't have to think he's ready to just bust balls at all times no matter what so (laughs) kudos to him but yeah I mean to your larger point Florida State's in trouble I think the I'm sure that there's some super booster in Tallahassee that's that's rallying the troops right now. Apparently, there's one in in Auburn as well, according to Sports by Brooks, that they're trying they're going to try to like prize Bob Stoops out of retirement. But they got to have <laughs> Gus Malzahn. They'll, they'll probably try to sabotage Gus Malzahn before then. Um, but <laughs> eighth ranked, undefeated Auburn is trying to upend its coach. Okay. That's that is so Auburn. It hurts. Um, yeah. But yeah, when it comes to Florida State and this Taggart this Taggart experiment, um, it keeps getting worse. That like you said, there's no reason to get stomped by Virginia the way that they have. Um, even if Virginia is, is better coached with, with Bronco Mendenhall and probably as the edge at quarterback with Bryce Perkins, the the talent roster 1-85 mm-hmm. should, should have afforded Florida State at least a better chance at winning that game. So it, it does fall on the coaching. Okay, so let's take a look at the main slate on DraftKings for Saturday. Uh, we'll kind of use that as our guide to, to kind of break down the games as we go. We do get Houston and Tulane on Thursday night, uh, and then Utah at USC as part of, a, I think, three uh, FBS games on, on Friday night. Reggie Bush going to be back at USC as part of the coverage for FRS1, so Love that should it. be kind of cool. Um, but looking at the main slate for DraftKings, Tua priced at 8700 going up against another inferior opponent in southern Mississippi. Uh, and then Joe Burrow, uh, of course, at LSU at 8500 Those are the two priciest QBs on the board uh, targeting either of these guys this week. Yeah, I think that the, the way that this uh, particular slate um, sets up, it's kind of an ugly one uh, overall. I mean, there, there aren't very many high over-unders. Um, there's a few over-unders that are that are checking in under 50. I mean, the Texas A&M-Auburn game under 50, Wisconsin-Michigan, Ole Miss-Cal, um, Florida-Tennessee probably going to end up there in, in Michigan State-Northwestern. So, like, there's not a ton of offensive fireworks projected in this one. Um, so when you go to the quarterback position, I think you do kind of tend to lean more towards those elite guys, um, your Tua or your Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow going up against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, I think the worst, probably the worst power five pass defense in like bottom 286th in the country. That is, wow. Didn't even know there are that many teams. I mean, that that would be counting for FCS as well. So it it really (laughs) is that bad. They gave up uh, 509 passing yards to Elijah Sindelar, who I'm just going to go out on a limb and say is not as good as Joe Burrow and, and the receivers he has to work with outside of Rondell Moore. LSU's um, backup quarterback is not minimum price this week. Let's just yeah, say that. Yeah. So he, yeah. So Miles Brennan is in Mac Jones territory. The DFS heads out there know what that means. So, um, yeah, I think Burrow Burrow's a nice play at 8500. Um but Tua's like receivers are actually a little bit easier to stack. You you have expensive receivers uh for L- for LSU there whereas um when it comes to the Bama guys, Judy of course still the priciest, but Ruggs is 6500, Devontae Smith 6200 and it's going to be really hard to stay away from Jalen Waddle. I feel like we, we you know, we've been the Jalen Waddle uh 
hive all all year and we've been waiting for that breakout and he's still averaging over 14 yards a target it's just a matter of him getting properly involved so I think once that happens, then uh, we're going to see uh, him take off. So at 4,800, it's going to be worth betting on. And then other quarterbacks that I would consider, I think Kelly Bryant's going to be really tempting. He's 7,500, so he's kind of that next tier down. But, I mean, this is a game with an implied total that's pretty high. It's in the 60s, uh, right around where the where the LSU game is, I believe. But um, I think the run game might factor in a little bit more for this Missouri team, whereas if you look at the other side of this game and Ryan Holinsky, uh, he threw for – uh, 324 yards last week against Alabama. Yes, he was 5.7 yards per attempt. It wasn't the most efficient showing. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. But going up against Mizzou, um, I, I think that there's a, a chance there that Holinsky gets it going and you get to save a fair bit of money going with him over a guy like Bryant. I like the Alabama take. I mean, with somebody like Waddle, it's just you're just hoping for that like 75-yard jailbreak screen and then you really don't need anything else the rest of the game. I mean, at 4,800, more than willing to take that risk. Um yeah, but like you said, I mean the the priciest QBs, you know, appealing on the slate, but not a ton uh, below that. Uh, looking at the running back position, Jonathan Taylor, shockingly the most expensive player on the slate. Um, you know, we talked about guys who were in contention for the Heisman. I think when you talk about running backs, it's him and, and Chuba Hubbard probably who have taken the mantle thus far. Um, going to be tough, I think, no matter what Taylor does to to supplant the guys at the top. You know, Tua and Hurts are just going to have such gaudy numbers throwing and running the ball. Um, but after a bye week last week, Wisconsin uh, has a chance to make a pretty big statement, I think, at home against Michigan. Like we said, this is the 11 a.m. headliner. Um, a relatively disappointing game in terms of yardage for Jonathan Taylor against Central Michigan, but this was a game that Wisconsin won 61-0, had no trouble moving the ball right. through the air, only got to 102 yards, 19 carries, but three catches, 17 yards, had a receiving touchdown, got into the end zone three times on the ground. Not going to expect you know necessarily that kind of touchdown output against a vastly superior defense to any of the two that that Wisconsin have faced this year. But you know I've I've talked to a lot of Wisconsin friends the last few weeks, and everybody agrees that we feel infinitely better about this game now than we did you know three weeks ago certainly and even last week Michigan just has not looked that good through the first three weeks of the year no Michigan really hasn't and I know that the S&P plus has them as the number one defense thus far and but it's just hard to really know after after just like that two game sample against what middle Tennessee and then the army Army, like presents its own weird challenges where like the, the lack of passing yards I'm sure like you know kind of uh fuzzes the numbers yeah. a little bit i found there. out today that wisconsin plays army in 2021 terrified just, what yeah. terrified don't do that why are we just doing this avoid that at yeah. all costs i mean even georgia tech lost to a, a service academy an fcs yeah. one i just had to had to throw it out there but um yeah when it comes to taylor this week 8900 so he's someone that i'm not probably like he'll be an interesting kind of I'm trying to think of the best way to say this because I don't think his ownership is going to be particularly high because he is 8,900. He is playing in a game with a very low implied total here. He's, a, uh, you know, a thousand, eleven hundred. That's the number I'm looking for. Eleven hundred dollars more expensive than the next highest priced option, who's Cam Akers. Exactly. So it, it's so much easier to go with Cam Akers. But I think we we do get a situation here where if we're talking game theory, where Taylor's ownership percentage, it it's going to be the lowest. It's probably it will probably be over the course of the entire season, not just to this point. I think usually you see him 40, 50, even 60, depending on on the slate uh, percent owned. I could see his percentage dropping under under a third here um, so that you could separate yourself from the pack a little bit there if he does uh, go off in this one. But I'm not necessarily betting on that. I think the, the return on value, you pretty much need 30 points out of Taylor uh, to really make this work this week against Michigan. I'm not sure I'm there on that, even with the... Imp- increased usage in the passing game so I, I do like Wisconsin to win this game um, S&P plus has them winning by nine actually so um, there there's if, if you're a gambling man take a look at that but I think for DFS purposes I'm much more drawn to Cam Akers going up against mm-hmm. um, Louisville I, I do kind of have to eat a little bit of crow on Cam Akers or, or may, maybe not for for his NFL purposes but people have been obsessed with this guy since he was like a freshman in yeah. high school in Mississippi Cam Fournette um, but you know in pe- yeah, people in the state of Mississippi were going nuts when he when he left the state and went to Florida State but um he's been amazing to this point to this point in the season the the workhorse usage has been so legit um he dropped off a little bit in terms of the efficiency last week against Virginia less than five yards of carry but 
he's the key that makes that offense go. And I think Louisville just isn't ready for, mm-hmm. for that guy. So I, I do like Cam Akers a fair bit if I'm going expensive at running back. For what it's worth, looking at Jonathan Taylor against Michigan as a freshman, 19 carries, 132 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, as a sophomore last season, 17 carries, 101 yards, no touchdowns. Um, so, you know, he, he, the yardage has been there. Uh, these are games, you know, last year, Wisconsin trailed, you know, for much of that game. So, right. you know, they weren't just going to hand it off to Taylor every time. Um, and two years ago, that was a game Wisconsin won. And they still, you know, 19 carries for a Wisconsin running back isn't all that high. So he's been able to get the yardage. Uh, the touchdowns haven't been there. He has one catch for negative three yards in two games against Michigan. So, you know, history suggests that he can still be productive. The question is, is he worth $1,100 more than, than anybody else? Yeah, that's, that's going to be the tricky part. And that's why I will, I will probably kind of split my, my ownership with him. I'll, I'll have some non-Taylor lineups, and I will have some that, that do have him just in case he does go off. Because mm. if he does, then that's going to win you the slate. All right, you want to talk about the night slate. I, I think you're a little more excited about that one. I believe I heard you use the word uh, funky to describe it. It is funky. You get some some non-Power 5 teams here going against Power 5 opponents and, and some other, some, you know, way higher over-unders, I would say, than, than what we're seeing um, in this early slate. I think um, all but... Or like all of them are above fifty-eight, except for except for one, the Nevada UTEP game. But Nevada has some pieces there going up against UTEP that I think will will end up being useful. Um, but yeah, we get we got the big thing here is the Texas Oklahoma State game and the Nebraska Illinois game because Illinois is so bad defensively. Nebraska, we're, I'm still kind of waiting them to fully break out, and they, they they're still priced reasonably affordably. Um, I mean, you look at Adrian Martinez; he's kind of expensive still. But if you look at Maurice Washington, I like his price. Wandale Robinson and J.D. Spielman, both of those guys under 6K. I think Wandale is under 5,000. Spielman, like 14 yards a target, just really, really efficient and explosive thus far. So Illinois doesn't have anybody that can check him or at least hope to. Um, So Nebraska should roll there. Um, I'm going to kind of like this Texas Oklahoma state game kind of is like the, the Jonathan Taylor approach of the Knights later. Like I'm going to have some games where I'm all in on all the pieces of this one because it does have that over under of Mm -hmm. 73, a lot of expensive guys though, but I'm going to have some where I'm like very, very light on this game and just try to load up in, in some other kind of like sneakier spots, like get a Georgia guy that I like going up against Notre Dame or the, the real sneaky one is Arkansas San Jose state. I think that that's what kind of draws me to this slate. Definitely. <laughs> because Arkansas, like, they are bad. I will just go out and say that. But they're going up against the San Jose State team that that's really terrible, um, one of the worst by S&P in the entire nation. Um, and Arkansas, they have Nick Starkle, who's a really cheap quarterback, and he's a good pedigree quarterback, though. I mean, he's a guy that started out at Texas A&M, ended up losing that job to Kellen Mond. But uh, 5,900, if you put him in your, in your uh, super flex, then I think that you go a long way towards being able to afford either a Sam Ellinger mm-hmm. or a Spencer Sanders, that type of thing. And then if you pick Pair him uh, with a, with this true freshman who I wrote about on signing day, Trey Nix or Trey Knox. I'm sorry, he's really starting to take off. Over 10 targets in each of the last two games. Uh, probably the biggest recruit that they've had in a, in a couple years. Um, probably since uh, McTelvin Aguim, who I believe I f- sure I hope I'm not butchering his name, but uh, he plays on the defensive line. He was a five star guy, um, but uh, this guy Knox is right up there with him. Super talented and just five thousand. So there's a lot of ways to approach. Um, the the kind of bargain bin receivers here that you can allow yourself to go expensive at quarterback um, or really expensive at running back. Uh, Bailey Gaither on the other side of that one, San Jose State, 4,800, averages nine targets a game. George Pickens of Georgia, 4,800. Uh, mentioned Wandale and, and J.D. Spielman a minute ago. Uh, Jake Smith, a cheap way to get some Texas exposure too. I like him, 4,700, one of their best recruits mm. in this year's past class. And if Colin Johnson isn't good to go, I think that he's going to be able to kind of take off a little bit. So you mentioned the total for for Texas OK State. Uh, Spencer Sanders is the second highest priced quarterback behind Ellinger by just $100. Chuba Hubbard's the most expensive running back. Tylen Wallace, the most expensive receiver. How many of those guys are are you willing to pay up for? I mean, I I believe I read this morning that Tylen Wallace leads the country in receiving. I know Chuba Hubbard leads the country in rushing. Um, You know, Texas's defense hasn't been great so far. We saw them get exposed uh, against LSU. Um, I mean, there's really no reason for me to think that this won't come close to the implied total. Um, I mean, how much are those guys worth 
you know, paying up for. It'll be a matter of lineup construction. I think I would probably go if I get Hubbard. I probably aren't, or probably am not getting any other pieces of this Oklahoma State offense. Um, or I would go Sanders, Hubbard, or I would go uh, Sanders and Wallace. That that, mm-hmm. that would be the kind of way that I go about it. And there are enough that like the the cap for this particular slate is soft enough to where I think you can fit multiple pieces in. Uh, and, and make it work if you have that mini Oklahoma State stack. I'm not going to try to get too cute with the rest of the Oklahoma State stacks, though, um, because so much like so much of the water in that offense is drawn by Sanders, Hubbard, and Wallace. Like, there's really not a whole lot left over production-wise. Like, there are some other guys in that receiving core that have like explosive per target production, but they have like six, t- six, seven, eight targets through three games. So they're really like on DraftKings where you love the cheap catch production. Uh, they don't really offer that. So I mean, unless you're like in on Dylan Stoner, which I- I'm not really for this week. So um, that's kind. If I'm going at OK State, I'm going at the headliners is kind of what I want to want to get across there. All right. Fair enough. Any notes on the FanDuel main slate compared to DraftKings? Um, it's so FanDuel's is it's their main slate starts at noon, uh, noon Eastern time and goes all the way through. So it's like a 15 or 16 gamer. So it's a little bit tougher uh, to navigate, but it, it has a. a a broad like what I would do in approaching that one is kind of eliminate for the most part the early games because you know kind of like we were implying when we we're talking about the main slate on DraftKings, it's just not an awesome early window in terms of like fantasy and, and DFS. I think a lot of the higher scoring games, the higher implied totals, the more up tempo offenses are playing at night. So that's the way that I'm going to approach it. I, I think outside of like maybe like the LSU game or, or getting some shares of the South Carolina Missouri game. I would structure my FanDuel lineups to be a little bit more heavy on the night. All right, fair enough. Um, a few other random notes before we head out for today. Uh, I thought there was a, a great quote from Miami of Ohio head coach Chuck Martin on facing Ohio State. He said, quote, it's kind of like going to recess and they have the first 85 picks. So. I love the, I love like visualizing that scenario in my head. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Can you like, imagine like all, like Justin like, Fields, Chase Young, like hanging out at 85? Like, yeah, like I, it would have been a lot less damaging if he said like the first 20 picks. But he's like, I mean, if you're a Miami of Ohio player, you're just ready to run through a brick wall after you hear that, right? Oh, yeah. He's just saying that there's no chance you could even sniff a scholarship yeah, at the right. team that at the school that we're playing against. I this hate week. my players. <laughs> my players are all like, you know, bargain bin. <laughs> You know, guys that couldn't hack it anywhere close to the Ohio State level. I mean, it's a very realistic take, but um, I wouldn't say it's the best motivational mm-hmm. tactic. I, I would say that much. Details are still emerging out of Ames and Iowa City after this weekend, but I apparently we, there was some sort of like band on band violence between the Ohio or the Iowa State and the Iowa bands. Uh, I did my full Reddit research today. I was unable to uncover what exactly happened. There were some rumors of possible racial slurs, of possible windows on a bus being broken people having beers thrown at them um so just something to keep an eye out you know as details continue to emerge i think this is a story we're going to want to watch i think i think we know what really happened i think someone pooped in the tuba (laughs) and like the classic prank it happens once a year hilarious prank usually between in state bitter and state rivals so i mean what better place than iowa uh to have that happen but yeah i think i think a lot of people don't realize that's why you put those covers over the tuba see with the school logo yeah on because it. because you know got if you if you're caught slipping on that then you know what's gonna happen exactly so. you're basically inviting it <laughs> um on a, on a slightly more serious note is the pac-12 better worse or the same as what you expected coming into this year i, I guess like the bit the big one is that washington's worse than i was expecting right. like that i know that they've been able to uh, go two and one to this point. They they had the n- nice strong opening week against Eastern Washington, but you know you'd expect that. Um, but them losing to Cal, I think, is going to end up being really damaging, not just for them, but the rest of the conference. I think Wash or uh, Pe- the Pac-12 really needed Washington to kind of step up uh, there. So they've kind of taken a step back, in my opinion. I think Oregon is the team to beat in the North. I think that the way that they're built, um, it's just like size wise in the trenches, they're just going to be hell to deal with for, you know, 90% of the teams that they face. Auburn was like the worst possible draw that they could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like Oregon still, um, Washington state business as usual. Like they're, they're just still so fun to watch. Anthony Gordon, you know, a guy that, you know, I, I forget if he was a walk on or not, but he was definitely someone that just kind of emerged late in the summer, the same way that the Gardner Minshew emerged late last summer and ended up taking the job. And, Oh, by the way, he's a total maestro at the air raid. So yep. at least Washington State uh, keeping it up there. Uh, the South is a train wreck. I mean, 
UCLA, USC, both just absolute tire fires right now. Utah just kind of stands alone in in the South. Like they, their, their ticket is already punched to the Mm -hmm. SE or to the PAC 12 championship. They're just kind of waiting for, for late November. I I do worry that these teams are just going to end up beating each other up. Like they all feel like they should be ranked. You know, most of the the good teams of that bunch that you mentioned all feel like they're between maybe with the exception of Utah between like 15 and 25. And you look, even just Washington state, for example, you know, they have a, what should be an easy game at home against UCLA. And then it's at number 10, Utah, at number 24, ASU, home against a good Colorado team that that beat a Nebraska team that a lot of people like. Right. At number 16, Oregon. At number 23, Cal. Like, all, I, I just, it's going to be tough for some of these teams, I think, again, with the exception of Utah and probably Oregon, to continue climbing the rankings because it, it's probably unrealistic to expect Washington to emerge unscathed from that stretch. You know, that stretch. I mean, even going three and two against that many ranked teams would be in some ways a victory. Um, so I, I do wonder, you know, what the ultimate ceiling is for a Pac-12 team perhaps cracking the playoff. Um, but it, it does seem like the depth of the conference is at least better than we expected it to be. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say so. I think, you know, the one team that you can circle as, like, truly underperforming expectations would probably be Stanford. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, like you said, um, we've seen some of the other teams kind of step up and, and at least establish themselves um, as respectable. Like, Colorado kind of, like, fits that bill. Arizona <laughs> getting a, a good win over Texas Tech this past week. But, yeah, basically the Pac-12s, uh, all their hopes of the playoff lie with Utah at this point, it seems mm-hmm. like. And I'm not convinced that Utah is actually better than Oregon. I'm not either. I, I think I think Oregon's kind of entire season, at least through like the halfway point, is going to be colored by that Auburn game until they until they kind of have a, a signature win or two to avenge that. Um, I wanted to ask you about college stadiums. I, for, there was a reason I put this in here. I can't remember what it was. Um, but I, I, wanted, I want your list of like the top four or five stadiums that you have not been to uh, and that you want to go to to see a game. It can be any game. It could be a specific game. Um, but what what are these stadiums? So most of these outside of this first one are more uh, like scenery based. Like I, I just it seems like an amazing stadium. It's in an amazing location. That sort right. of thing. But the first game, I want a old concrete. Let's just max out the capacity of this place and see how big and loud it can be. And that would be going to the big house. I thought you were going to say um, the Carrier Dome. <laughs> very close second. There is definitely in the running for for that one. But um, for me, number one would be Michigan. I guess we could we can uh, go back and forth in our rankings here. But uh, Michigan going there to to see them play against Ohio State, I think would be just. I don't know if there's more than like one or two better environments for a college football mm-hmm. game. I mean, over a hundred thousand people in one stadium, I, I guess like Penn state for a whiteout game on a Saturday night, yep. that would be really lit. Like, but I think still like the tradition of the big house in Michigan. Um, I think that that would do it for me as my number one uh, stadium I'd want to go to. So I put, I put both Michigan and Penn state on my list. They're in the same category, you know, for me, like a, a Penn state whiteout or, a Michigan Ohio State game or Michigan really against any formidable Big Ten opponent. Mm-hmm. I think just being in that stadium, I think is is more the appeal, not not necessarily a specific game. Um, but yeah, those those are still one and two in terms of capacity, right? I by, think so. By like a mile, yeah, yeah. And then I mean, maybe one of the SEC schools like creeps in after after that, but I'm fairly certain mm-hmm. that one and two would, would it's still. Um, Still Michigan, still Penn State. I know. I know that Tennessee has way yep. too many people, and they don't. I, don't Ohio really State's up there too. It, like once you get over a hundred k, you know you're really, really hiking it up there. And for people who like who aren't familiar with this stuff, like the average NFL stadium is closer to like seventy five. Yeah, or and, or even like, lower. They're, in some they're cases. probably yeah. like all the newer ones are being shrunk down. Like right. I, I think the when I toured the uh, U.S. Bank Stadium in, in Minneapolis over the yep. summer, like definitely was under seventy thousand. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there are even, you know, a lot of colleges are starting to renovate and try to get closer to, to 60, 65. You know, if you're not in one of these just big time college football towns, I think we're, and it's evidence if you just turn on these games on Saturday, you see it, you know, very rarely, um, you know, for your average conference game are these stadiums being a hundred percent at capacity. Right. I have Death Valley on my list, um, an LSU Florida game, an LSU Bama game, an LSU Auburn game, any of those at Death Valley, I think would be great. They also have that sweet. Do they still have that tiger eye at midfield? The coolest midfield logo of all time. I, I assume they do. I don't think that they've they've they changed it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they can't change that. But uh, can tell you from experience, 
loudest place I've ever been in my entire yeah. life. It was um, after like Georgia screwed something up last year, and then LSU came back and like immediately, like basically made Georgia pay for that with, with a touchdown, like right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just remember like they were playing uh, money for like the beginning, of, like the build up part of money for nothing when they were getting ready to kick off, and like Devin White was jumping up and down, yep. like waving his towel, getting the crowd all stoked. I could not hear myself think. It was the loudest, crazy. Like even as a Georgia fan, like just. Like, oh, crap, my team is yep. about to just go to, like, get walked into hell by this team. I'm here for it. This is just unbelievable. This is this is something else. Mm-hmm. So you have the Rose Bowl on your list? I do. I mean, like, uh, I was so jealous of my, of my friends that, that went and saw, like, the Georgia Rose Bowl a couple years ago. Like, it, going there on, on New Year's Day, the sun sets during the game. Yep. You're in Pasadena, California. You, like, park on a golf course. It just sounds like the greatest experience. Like for on winter breaks, so you don't have to come home and do homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mom can't bug you for like at least two more days about right. that. So yeah, I mean, it it all sets up beautifully. So I would I would love to check out the Rose Bowl, especially for for the actual Rose Bowl game. A big part of me regrets not going to any of Wisconsin's three Rose Bowls. Um, but the fact that we lost all of those games makes me feel like there, there was kind of like a nice silver lining where like oh, I can't, <laughs> can't believe you guys spent all that money going out there to see a loss. Um, but yeah, I mean, like ninety percent of my friends went to one of those games over the course of the year but i always had to choose between spring break or rose bowl and you know pcb pasadena I yeah don't know. i mean we're, we're talking about the classics right so. right um so i have Autzen stadium oregon on my list just for like pure aesthetics um yeah. i kind of had to choose between that and like washington is way up there in terms like all the all, a lot of the pac-12 stadiums are just well designed and byu's is really cool mm-hmm. arizona states is really cool um but there's something about the like the angles that of oregon's that that always look really 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 cool and especially when they were in there, Dennis Dixon, Marcus Mariota, Darren Thomas, heyday. I always thought that would be a sweet place to yeah, go. Yeah, that, that game when when they were playing Michigan State at Autzen, yep. like probably 2014, it was Connor Cook versus Mariota. Yeah. That was an amazing game, and like that looked like the loudest, craziest right. of like a, a stadium that is known for being loud and crazy. So yeah. I totally get what you mean there, and I was definitely kind of in the same page where I'm picking between Oregon and Washington. I ended up going with Washington just uh, because you can like tailgate on a boat. I think that was the tiebreaker right. for me. Well, I, I had Baylor on my list as an honorable mention for that reason too. Yeah, they do yeah. that like sailgating thing where you can just, you know, presumably your parents give you money to buy a boat and then you can just drive around and drink a lot of alcohol and then just park your boat and walk right into the stadium. That just, yeah. And I, I forget if, if the one in Waco is like a man-made lake or whatever, but I think it is. Who, yeah. who even cares? Like that's, care, that's yeah. even, that's even more Texas that they just like, right. we're going to make our own lake. We're going <clears> to <throat> have our own sailgating right. just right here. Madison gets a lot of credit for being located between two lakes and having a few more, you know, within biking distance, which mm-hmm. is great. But should they dig a channel from Lake Mendota right up to Camp Randall? Who says no? I mean, I, you just I have to go through no. I mean, UW it, Hospital you'd or have whatever. To, like, ice skate there, I guess, after November, but that would be fine too. <laughs> um, okay, what are, what's your last one? Um, I would say Colorado's in the same vein as okay. what you said about BYU, except you know, Colorado, you can um, you know have alcohol and and such. It, yep. Whereas in BYU, I, I think that I would be thrown off the top of the stadium, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so Colorado, Folsom Field, like if you if you've watched a Colorado game this year or or any year previous, like. Just the backdrop is just insane. Yep. Like I would want it, like a nosebleed seat so I can just like kind of like look at the mountains mm-hmm. in between plays. It just it, I love Colorado in general, and I know you've been out there a fair bit too. But I think being able to see see a football game in that type of setting uh, would just be dope. Yeah. I have been to the stadium, not for a game though. We just I went to Boulder and kind of checked it out. Not quite the same atmosphere, but yeah, in terms of the backdrop, like you said, you're not going to beat it. Uh, on my other honorable mentions. Virginia Tech, maybe not now, but like 10 years ago when they were always playing Miami on a Thursday night and that mm-hmm. place was rocking. One of the stands, I don't know I don't know which side it is, looks like it's at 180 degrees. Yes, like no, I, no stadium in the country has steeper grandstands than Virginia Tech. I, I can vouch for this. I've never been inside Lane Stadium, but I've been to Virginia Tech a fair bit just from my college days. And yeah, that's a that's an awesome state, and it's mm-hmm. like Virginia Tech's campus is super nice too. And it, it the the location of Lane Stadium is yep. like right in the middle of it, so it's not a pain to get to or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that's a great call. I think that like for like under the radar, like outside of that tier one group of stadiums, yep. that's definitely up there. Yep, always a cool entrance to you know for those night games. Um, and I think being at TCF in Minneapolis for for like no, you know North Dakota State weekend or South Dakota State weekend, oh, yeah, nuts, you know the rivalry that they've kind of established mm-hmm. um, would would just be crazy. You've been to TCF, right? I uh, drove by it uh, okay. earlier this summer too. 
went in there on when I toured Minnesota back in like 2010, 2009, mm-hmm. and it was it had just finished. Which at the time I was like, this is gonna be sweet, you know. Like it, the the memories of of Barber and Maroney were still fairly fresh. I think Adam Weber and Eric Decker were on campus at the time, <laughs> and it was like, man, I could really see myself here. And uh, yeah, I don't think the atmosphere has really followed through on that one. Do they really even need their own stadium? You know, I I don't know, and and you know, our resident Gopher. Uh, alum James Anderson, yeah. who I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've listened to his podcast. Shout out Glenn Mason. No, <laughs> no one cares less about Minnesota than than James, who is a Minnesota well, alum. Within like a five year span, they built TCF. They built, well, I guess, probably closer to like an eight year span. They built the new Viking Stadium. They just built a new soccer stadium. They got Target, and Target Field. Field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all all within you know a decade of each other. I don't, and and yet other you know the Bucks could like barely scrap money together to build a basketball arena. That's Frustrating. So um, do you have anything else? Uh, so I guess like other stadiums that I've like been to that I can vouch for one way or the other. Uh, been to Sanford a million times, obviously for Georgia games. Uh, Williams Bryce, really loud atmosphere, really crazy. When South Carolina's good, or even when they're not great, but they're at least like competing within a game, like they can mm. they can really turn it up. And it's as a visitor, you hate being there. They always have like the they're always playing Sandstorm number one. And they're always number two, like having the chicken call like on third downs. And anytime even your better. team has third down. There's the caca that's super loud, and you're just like, oh my god, I've heard this 80 times today. So that's wild. Uh, Vod Hemingway, um, I think, uh, you know, hot take here. Ole Miss in the Grove, the Grove tailgating, a little bit overrated. Just uh, it's a little bit hoity, really? a little bit toity, and uh, you know, I thought that it was. I mean that that stadium, like in there. I think that it's much less about the football game and, and much more about what's going on outside on, on the Grove. And the Grove is good. I mean, it, aesthetically, it's it's so pleasing and everyone's in their kind of like old South attire and all, and all that. But um, I I mean, I had better times at williams Bryce at, at South Carolina. And then Camp Randall's really fun, too. And, and Notre Dame Stadium, I think you've been there for a game, too. It's a... Uh, it's really, really nice with, with the renovations that they've put in. But and, and the fans, I thought, were uh, not jerks. But no. like, as compared to like when I went to Williams Bryce or Ole Miss when I was a student and being rambunctious and wild, yep. I, I wouldn't expect a ton of hospitality. So I get it. Yeah, I, one of my buddies got kicked out of the game, and we went we went to Notre Dame USC like three or four years ago. Um, so it, I, I think I had to leave like early third quarter. Um, oh. But this was like right at the start of the renovations, so there was still no video board at all and i'd never been to any sporting event that didn't have a jumbotron so it was it was kind of cool you know the the whole notre dame mystique um and especially against usc that was a lot of fun to see but it was really frustrating you know they basically just put what every score the, the scoreboard that every high school team has you know that's just very basic you know little bulbs you know yeah, that, that yeah. kind of spell out everything they just like masking taped it to the top of the stadium and you just kind of had to squint and be like all right all we know is the score the time and the down and distance like no such thing as replays obviously if there's like a controversial call you just don't get to you see it no again <laughs> of course you have no cell phone service in the stadium which is true of most stadiums that i've been to yeah um so yeah that it was kind of frustrating from that perspective you know as someone who's like really trying to track the game but in terms of the the experience yeah you're not i mean for a number of reasons you're not going to find that anywhere else in the year 2019 that's right so i mean it, it is different now they, they do have you know a video board in there now mm-hmm. and, and my friend that's a big notre dame diehard who actually like i went to college with so like yeah, he, yeah. and he's not even like abashed about being like a pro notre dame for this weekend even as a georgia alum which is what? yeah no it's it it's is a, weird how how notre dame is ingrained in certain families i have mm-hmm. a lot of friends from the chicago area who went to uw or went to you know illinois and yet now you know as we get further and further away from college like they kind of they kind of retract to where their family's rooting interests are because maybe a grandfather or somebody went there exactly yeah so i mean like his family like has a house in south bend type of thing so they are they are diehard i don't know just just to to go to the football games i think it's like a it's like a fall (laughs) house or something but yeah they really love it so so uh yeah my buddy really really hated the fact that they had a video board and stuff there now very 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 uh traditionalist uh which yeah lines up with the sorcery is making these photos move i hate it uh, all right, well, we'll wrap it up. Uh, color rush tomorrow. I know it's not still color rush. Um, I don't think. I think the Jags mustard uniforms have been all shipped to Canton. Those you have are any, no longer any plans? Thing, but I don't have plans right now. Uh, it's going to be a really sad scene. You know, my favorite player in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey, as you know, requested a trade the other day. He had the weirdest press conference I've seen in a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I've, the last few years I've always watched this game at home because. Um, I think this will be the four year anniversary of me back when I, I think I was having cable issues at the time or I didn't get cable set up yet. 
and I couldn't watch the game back in, I guess, 2015. Okay. And they first did Color Rush. Went to one of our favorite bars in Madison, Jenna's, and I was like, oh, they'll have it on, you know, as any bar would. It's Jags Titans. And I was told that, no, they could not put it on the TVs because whatever band or one-person performer was was there that day had requested to watch Apollo 13 on every TV because it was part of their their act, I guess. So Oh, it was part of their I, I like the idea of there just being a an Apollo 13 super fan that was oh, that no, was no, like no. in the bar. I wish that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> and also was down with like watching it with no sound. Right. Like just just the visuals <laughs> of Tom Hanks w- would be enough to to prevent yeah. everyone else from watching. The bartender game. showed me no like you know, not, not even like apologetic. She's like, "Oh no, somebody else is watching Apollo 13." Sorry, he's like, <laughs> at oh, a of bar. Course. My bad. Sorry. It's like, like not yeah. a bar movie right. at all. I, <laughs> I think I just had to, I just like walk back home, tail between my legs, and like got a, a crappy stream off of Reddit. Of course. Um, but yeah, should be fun. Jags need a win really, really badly. I don't, I don't think they're gonna get it. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.